So if you have your Bible with you today, go ahead and get those out. If you have your, your Bible apps on your phone, uh, fire those up, turn it on airplane mode while you're at it. And, uh, and find with me uh, two openings. Uh, the first one is James chapter 4. James 4. And then on the other side of the book, find Second Chronicles 20. James 4, 2 Chronicles 20. And, and, and I started a, a message, a series, last week. If you didn't get part one, you're one part behind. So uh, uh, take a moment, get on the website, and, and, and listen to that. It'll help you uh, to be on the same page with the rest of us. And I think it'll be beneficial to your life tremendously. This new series is called We Bow Down. We bow down. And uh, in, in, in discussing um, the, our hearts and our attitudes and our, our actions, our behaviors of worship to God, we can see how vital that it is. Um, if we are ever going to make any spiritual progress in life, there is a need to draw near to God. In worship, you're going to be stuck in, in the nursery if you don't do this. And and we can't really go higher until we go lower. And this is a principle in the kingdom of God that we should all grab a hold of. I, I want to draw your attention to what James said over here. James was a pastor, and he his church, of course, had its ups and downs and. And at this time when he was writing this letter to the church that we get to benefit from all these years later, obviously they had some issues. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we, if we could get away with this today, but because we're reading about what he was saying to his church, we can probably quick, more easily digest it. But uh, he was pretty much in their face. Of course, he didn't live in America where everyone's offended at everything. <laughs> And so people could actually grow. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, uh, listen to the words, pretty strong, but James uh, chapter 4 and verse 4, he, he writes to his church, adulterers, adulteresses, <laughs> isn't that a good introduction? Well, it's in the middle of a paragraph, but uh, that's what he calls them. And how many know he's, he's not just dealing with their marital infidelity. He's not talking about what they were doing physically in uh, violating their marriage vows. He's, he's using this language from a spiritual standpoint. Okay, He goes on to say, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? And so he is describing how they are treating their relationship with God. In other words, when God went all in, in this relationship with you and me, when He gave His only Son and Jesus shed His blood, He gave us His very best, His all, and He's fully committed to you. And it seems to me that God kind of takes us at our word. When we bowed our knee, literally or figuratively, and we confessed the Lordship of Jesus, 
Um, God the Father took that as if you were given Him all your heart and all your life forever. And He treated you like you really meant that. Meaning, now you have full access to His kingdom, to His benefits, to His blessings and privileges. You're in the will. You have an inheritance. You are fully a part of the family of God. Just like that. It's quite a commitment. I mean, Lord, do you want to test us out for a while to see if we really meant it? But literally, the day someone receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, they get full access to all the kingdom, and they are in the family 100%. All right? Here's the issue, though. When we start befriending, as he says here, become friends of the world, it kind of hurts. It kind of hurts him, is what I mean. I mean, this is why the language is used of marriage here. I mean, if someone is married and their spouse is flirting with someone else, that would hurt, right? That would, that would cause pain. Some of you may have been there. But that causes pain. And in that same way, when we are married to the Lord or fully committed to Him, when we are kind of doing the mixture thing, I've got my life, and I've got a little bit of world, and a little bit of God, and a little bit of right, and a little bit of wrong, and just kind of all blended together. Eh, it doesn't feel right. There's something about that that's not right. And it's interesting how the Spirit, he says, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Is that interesting that God would be jealous of you? Well, why? That's not a fleshly kind of jealousy that sometimes people operate in. This is God Himself. Say, why would He feel that way? Because He really did take your commitment to Him and your relationship with Him on a on a serious level, on 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 the kind of serious level that when we put rings on, you know, it's a for the rest of our life. It's an all-in dedication. It's an exclusive relationship. And so when that is violated and we have other gods before Him. That stings a little bit. And, and, and God's a real person, you know. You're like you, the way you are because He is the like, like the way He is. And He made us like Him. And in so many ways, th- these things are similar. So, again, these people weren't committing adultery in the physical sense, but they were cheating on God. I remember uh, a friend of ours, minister, Pastor Robert Scales, shared the testimony of his life after he got saved. And he had a real close walk with the Lord. But he, he was a, um, a soap opera watcher as a part of his testimony. He loved to watch soap operas. And, and you know, I guess they can be very addicting. And, uh, and he watched soap operas. And so he, when he got saved, he never expected this. But, you know, he continued to uh, watch the soap operas. And he, he says one day, the Lord spoke to him. Very clear. And said, told him, it hurts me when you watch that. That language has always stuck with me. I heard him tell that story many years ago. That always stuck with me. I thought, yikes. What do I do that is kind of a violation of this relationship? That the Lord might say, that hurts me when you do that. It shows how committed he is and how much he loves us and how violating that, that relationship and that commitment really is a big deal. And so 
the beginning of our worship is about an exclusive commitment to God alone. No one else or nothing else can encroach on that space. And so we're going to guard it. We're going to protect it. And we're going to keep him and him alone in that, in that place. Amen. And now go over to the other passage I directed you to. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is a, uh, an account when Israel was dealing with some of their rough and tough neighbors who wanted to kill them and take their stuff. Uh, uh, specifically, the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. They were an army, the armies coming against Israel, and so they're calling on the name of the Lord, and, 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 and God would give a message in these times. When they would seek the Lord, God would give them answers. He'd give them direction. And he had prophets in the land, and, and the prophet said to them, Second Chronicles 20, beginning in verse 15, and he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, or as sometimes in growing up in church, kids call him Fat Fat Jehoshaphat. <laughs> King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Isn't that a good word from the Lord? Do you think we ever need to hear that same word from the Lord? As we're dealing with stuff, maybe you're not going up against a physical army, but spiritual attack or challenges in life. And it would be a, a, a true word that this battle is not yours but the Lord's. Absolutely. This is what we need to, uh, to, to remember is always remember the God factor. Remember, He's for you and not against you. And He is so much greater and so much stronger and more powerful than anything that would oppose you in life. Hallelujah. And if we can remember that this battle is the Lord's, that will change how we live. Jump down to verse 17. It, it reads, you will not need to fight this battle. That's another good word right there. We think, man, I'm bracing myself. Get ready to, to deal with this and all my strength and all my figuring out and all my wisdom. And he said, no, you're not going to have to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Look at, look at the, the next verse, verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. I want you to consider his, his behavior here. Jehoshaphat is the king. You don't call him Fat Fat Jehoshaphat and it be well with you. <laughs> Understand, when someone is king, they're not president. You know, people criticize in our day, all, in our day with our structure all day long. Not that it's honorable, but they're not going to get punished for criticizing. Uh, you don't do that with the king. <laughs> I mean, no, the king has all authority. And they can take you out if they want to. And so this, when someone was a king of a, of a nation, they are, they are something. How can I say this? They, they hold high power. They are held in high regard. But I want you to see his attitude here. 
They're going up again. They're going into this battle. They're seeking the Lord. And the Lord says, you're not going to have to fight this. And he puts his face on the ground. You know, that's not typically the picture of, of, of a king that you would think of. You think a king standing tall with, you know, with great oration. And, and he's got his face on the ground. I wonder if we ever need to put our face on the ground. I wonder if we ever need to go before God and, and our, our face is in the carpet. See, that's not really my style. I'm kind of a leader. and <laughs> When we stand before the Lord, listen, there's no kings anymore. There's no, I'm the head of my company anymore. There's no, I'm, I've got influence and money and success or position or, or recognition or I'm this or that or the other and I'm from, stop that. Stop that. If you're going to get anywhere with God, put your face in the ground. Amen. Amen. Whether physically or, or in your heart, you know what I mean? We can see this is reflective of his heart and attitude towards God. He is, he is honoring him. Okay? He said, uh, somewhere... Uh, again, verse 18, And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So the king led the way, and everyone else followed, and they all got down on their knees, and they all worshiped the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites, seemed like they could have mixed that up a little bit, uh, stood up to praise the Lord of Israel with voices loud and high. Is it ever right to give the Lord a shout? Is it ever right to sing loud, to praise loud? That's what they did. Amen. Uh, go, go down to verse 21. And, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Now watch. Because they believed the word of the Lord, because they said, This is the Lord's battle. This is something that He is going to fight for us. Let's go ahead and exercise our faith. And we're not going to put the... You know, the foot soldiers, we're not going to put the bow and arrows or the sword. We're not going to lead with them. We're going to lead with the worship team. We're going to, you guys with the tambourines, you get out there in front. And they went out there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you don't think of going into battle with put with any other natural way but putting your strongest, your most fierce, your most, your most trained, your, right? They're going to be out there fighting the battle, but they said, no, God's got this. So what we're going to do is have people out in front who are singing, who are shouting, who are praising. Amen. And that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But this is not only what they did, this is in our book for a reason to teach us a principle. To show us a spiritual truth about worshiping God first. About giving Him a place that is first and foremost before we do anything that we are able to do in and of ourselves. We say, we're going to acknowledge God in the front of the battle line. 
Praise God. Verse 22, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were the dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. So this battle that the Lord said he was going to fight by the time they got up to the edge of the hill, yep, he sure did. And how did they win this? They worshipped the Lord first. They worshipped Him and declared who He was. If you go down and look at verse 25, it reads, When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Look what, look what this acknowledgement of God and worship of Him produces. Not only were their lives spared and were they delivered from their enemies, in the midst of it, God blessed them abundantly. He prospered them with a bunch of stuff. I don't know about that being my motivation, but it sure doesn't hurt. To know that if I will keep the Lord in this place in my heart and in my actions and in my life, there is nothing before me except for freedom and blessing. Amen. Hallelujah. And so I know sometimes our mentality is we do everything we can do and then go to God. Like the two guys who were discussing one day all their problems and they tried to figure out what they could do here, what they could do there, and all that they could come up with. And then one of them had the goal, the audacity to say, well, you think we ought to pray about it? And the other, person, the other person responded and said, Really? Has it come to that? And see, what, the, what that mentality is, is do everything you can do and then reach out to God in the end if you can't figure it out. That's backwards. The way we ought to approach life and any struggle and challenge, anything that we face, is I'm going to get on my knees first. I'm going to worship the Lord first. Before I try to do anything, I'm going to make sure that He is on the throne of my heart and He has full access to all of my life. Everybody okay? In the book of Acts, they followed this same pattern. You know, in the early church, after Jesus was raised from the dead, they began to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And the religious rulers, of course, were threatened by their behavior and wanted them to stop. And they were being threatened. And how many know when they were threatened in their day, sometimes they'd give them a little, don't you do that. And sometimes they'd give them a beating. <laughs> and sometimes they throw them in, in jail. And, and, and so their threats were very serious. But what they did, as soon as they were threatened, as soon as their, their opposition came against them, it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, that when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Not they got together and whined and cried and prayed and said, Lord, why me? Why is this happening to us? No, they got down on their knees and said, Lord, you are God. They began to magnify him above all, and that set the stage for God to work. I wonder sometimes if we're just interrupting what God wants to do. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's full of blessing and power and might and wants to deliver and set free and do amazing things in our lives. But as soon as we face challenges, we immediately look inward to ourselves. 
Instead of getting down on our knees and saying, Lord, you are big and mighty and strong and wise and all loving and I acknowledge there is no one else but you and I will have no other God before you and I worship you and you alone and then in an hour get up and now let's see what we're going to do. I wonder how many situations we would never have to lift a finger to fix. Not even try. Because when the middle of our worshiping God, He turns things around. I've been in different places. I, can, I know this has happened multiple times. One of them that stands out to me is, is I was at a, a retreat years ago with a bunch of men. And uh, in the middle of one of our worship services, I had a prophecy. And, and I knew the Lord was saying this. And I got up and prophesied that there were people... And there were, there were guys in that, at that event that were dealing with a bunch of garbage and a bunch of challenges at home. And, uh, you know, their thought was, I can't afford to get away from this. I've got to handle things. But the word of the Lord to them was, because you turned away from that and came here to honor me and worship me and seek my face, while you're here worshiping me, I'm there turning your situation around. And that happens not only on occasion when there's a word or a specific utterance like that. That happens regularly. If people will worship God and worship Him a lot, He will get involved and do so many things in their lives that they never had to lift a finger to handle. It really wasn't your battle, it was the Lord's. But it takes a bit of worship to activate and to walk in these things. Amen. I wonder sometimes if it's like the missing ingredient in our relationship or walk with God. You know, have you ever, have you ever baked some cookies and uh, you left something out accidentally? I remember, you know, when our kids made, one of our kids made some cookies years ago. I don't recall exactly what they left out. I thought it was the sugar or something, but uh, they made some cookies. But whatever they left out, it was, they looked good. The cookies still looked fine, and, and I got one of those cookies in it. You know, you don't really want to be negative towards your kids' efforts of baking when they're young, and you want to say, oh, good job, honey, that's a great cookie, but it really wasn't. <laughs> and then come to find out there was something that was real important that was left out. I think that sometimes is the case with people's relationship with God and their walk with God. It's not that they don't have a whole bunch of good ingredients. They're doing a lot of things right. They've got a lot of things together. They're sincere and they're, they have a real relationship with God. But sometimes you, you, know, you get close enough to them to taste them. It's like something's off with you. You're missing. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something missing in your spiritual life. I think sometimes it's this very thing. They do not worship God, God like they ought to. I mean, maybe they come to church and sing the songs and participate, and maybe they're not hard-hearted or any, anything like that. But, but there needs to be a greater emphasis on, on magnifying the Lord in their life. They need to worship God. They face challenges, and they immediately go to their own head and their own efforts. Instead of when th things come against them, they should get on their knees and lift their hands and say, I worship you. You alone are God. Everybody okay? Over and over again, I see in this book, with the story we just read, and then in the life and ministry of Jesus, that worshiping God had a, was a key component to, in the big picture of things working. I like to follow the example 
of individuals, not just because they're able to say it, but because it worked for them. You know what I'm saying? I don't just want to follow a principle. I want to say, how did that work out? How's that working for you? And when I can see examples, multiple examples, I start to dial in and say, you know what, that's actually not a bizarre thought or just some crazy religious notion. That's real. Let me give you a couple examples without you taking time to turn to these. But we can see in the ministry of Jesus how individuals that got healed approached him. And one of the patterns you'll see is not just, um, we, you know, we could teach on faith and that kind of stuff, but one of the patterns is worship. Notice, for example, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. It reads, When he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, I've taught that passage many times and will often default to the message of God's willingness. Because how many know no one ever came to Jesus and he turned him away and said, it's not God's will for you to be healed. You don't have one passage in that book that says that. So it's a great message. It's a great example to teach that principle. But sometimes we skip over some of these other details. And how many know if we had all the details of all the discussions, these Bibles would be huge. Every story we read, we're getting a little part of it. And because of that fact, I think the little part that we have must be really important. There must be something in those words that I need to get. And one of them that jumps out at me is how people would approach Jesus and the way they came to him was in worship. They worshiped him. And that was part of the equation. Say, if I, I don't even think that really matters. Just the fact that it's there tells me it matters. That reveals the heart of this individual. They worshiped him and got healed of the leprosy. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18, it reads, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. Who came? A ruler. Again, this is not someone of low status then in their community. This is someone whom everyone else looks up to or follows. They've got authority. They've got privilege. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have influence in, you know, in, in your family or influence in a company or maybe you have wealth or maybe you have position or have accomplished things or whatever it might be. That's not the issue. The ruler here came and worshipped him. When we come before God, I'm getting ahead of myself in the series, but we come before God, I'm not coming before Him to worship Him as pastor. You're not coming to worship Him as whatever you have accomplished or done or who you... No, we are the same in this regard. Done, I come before Him bowing, humbly. That's the way that this works. Okay, so the ruler worshipped Him saying, my daughter just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. But when the crowd, verse, jump to verse 25, but when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. I want you to see a pattern here. 
There's another one. I won't read the whole thing for now. Matthew 15, 25, this woman who had a daughter who was demon-possessed. She was a mess. The daughter was possessed by the devil. It says she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. What did she do? She came and worshipped him. And over and over again, I see this pattern that those who approach God with a heart and attitude and even active and action of worship, they got good results. Now, I could, still, I could still confuse that. I could mix that up. I could come away with, the conclusion, come away with it uh, from these stories with the conclusion that God is just waiting for you to worship Him a little bit more and then He'll bless you. But I don't believe that's the case. My worship doesn't actually change God. In fact, before you and I ever spoke one word to Him, He loved us. Before we ever even gave Him a thought, Jesus came and died for you and me. God has already given us the riches of His kingdom and poured out His blessing on all. Ephesians says we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Jesus already shed His blood and gave us His very best before we ever worshipped Him. Here's the point. I'm not just worshiping God to try to get Him to do something for me. In fact, if that's my heart when I'm doing it, it's not going to work. That's not the motive. That's not the approach. But there is something about humility. There is something about this acknowledgement of God's place in the, in the universe and in my life that creates within me an openness to receive from Him. When someone approaches Him loud and proud, you're not getting anywhere with God. You can proclaim your ways and make yourself known, but when you'll bow your knee and humbly acknowledge Him as Creator, as Father who loves you, as acknowledge Him as Almighty God and all-wise and all-powerful, you're getting somewhere. You're getting somewhere. Not only are you, are you getting somewhere with Him, you're getting somewhere inside. I wonder how many times we have closed the door to what God wants to do because we lack this heart and we lack this behavior in our lives. Everybody okay? I believe that doing this puts us all into a position to receive from Him. A humble heart is a receptive heart. Someone said, I believe God. I have faith in God. Good for you. Believe with your knees. Let your faith in Him. Because here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about bowing and begging. We're talking about bowing and believing. We're not talking about some kind of fake, I'm nothing, I'm a good for nothing, I'm not worth anything. Stop that. Blah, blah, blah. In Christ, you are something special. So you come before Him and you still lay it all down and humble yourself before Him. Amen. I wonder if some individuals who have struggled with getting their prayers answered or their healing or something that they've desired from God, if they would just back up. You don't have to take anything away from the faith you already have and, and the prayers you've already prayed. But back up, not to get them to do anything, but just to position yourself like these did. Position yourself 
under God where all his blessings flow. It's a, it's a spiritual positioning. It's a heart condition. And if you were just, would just take some time, not just in our service, we're going to do that in a minute, but daily. And take some time and close the door. And at times get on your knees. But lift your hands and just say it. I worship you, Lord. You are God. You are the only wise God. You are my Father who loves me. Lord Jesus, my Savior, my King. I worship you. I praise you for who you are and what you have done for me. For your love. You know, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I bless your holy name. And begin to proclaim. And if you can't think of anything else, say it again. It's not a vain repetition. It's coming out of your heart. And when you can't think of anything, just say, I worship you, Lord. I worship you. And do it. And stay there. And stay there. And stay there. I'm not trying to get anything. I'm just setting things in order. I'm putting the sugar in. And the flour and the baking soda and the egg or something. Getting all the ingredients in, in in the right order. You know, melt the butter. Butter's in there too, I think. But I'm not just throwing it all in the oven. I'm doing things in order. So the time it gets to the oven, it's ready to ready to go. I want to do things in my life in order. I want to put the worshipers out there first. That's me. I want to approach the Lord. And the very first thing I do is I acknowledge Him. I worship Him. I give Him the praise that He deserves. Amen.